This episode is brought to you by .site domains. If you're looking to build a great website for your business, you can find a short and meaningful domain name on the .site domain extension. To register, visit www.get.site, that's S-I-T-E, and use the code SELFRELIANCE to get up to a 50% discount on your purchase. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance and my guest today is Steve Hers. He is the president of the Montag Group, a sports and entertainment talent and marketing consultancy. He's also the author of a book we're going to talk about today, Don't Take Yes for an Answer, Using Authority, Warmth, and Energy to Get Exceptional Results. So Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. So uh, you're, you're kind of playing on the worn out cliche, don't take no for an answer and uh, flipping it around. So uh, why are you suggesting take yes or don't take yes, I should say? Well, I think in a certain realm of, of your life, you, you have to understand that there's been what I call an echo chamber of yes. In, in, in academia, largely people are getting A's and B's. A lot of professors have to get approval and don't even think about giving C's, never mind D's. So nobody really knows they're failing academically. So that's one thing. Then you have this participation trophy culture, which is morphed into what I call an MVP trophy culture. And then you have in, in businesses this euphemistic way of getting rid of people. We don't fire them anymore. We downsize. We reorg. We do everything that we can to basically give this false notion that everything is not your fault and you're really good at everything. Everybody's great. And so therefore – you know, again, this is metaphoric. You're only hearing the word yes. Am I doing okay? Yes, of course, you're doing great. And that's why I think you have to fight that notion that's coming at you. Um, I think in the book somewhere, you call this a, a culture of feedback avoidance that we uh, not only are people saying yes to us, we don't want to hear the feedback. Is that true as well? Well, I think in a lot of realms, it's true. There, there are obviously pockets of people that, that don't want to not hear feedback, athletes, musicians, people that are conditioned to hear that kind of stuff. But by and large, yeah, I think we're living in this world of where the bumper sticker, no judgments has become the cultural norm. And so it's not just that we don't want to hear it. It's also that many people that really could offer us really good feedback and help us get to the next level at X or Y, they don't want to give it because what's the, what's the upside for them? And there's a lot of downside. There's a lot of risk in offending someone or getting com a complaint about yourself to HR or, you know, you, you don't know how it's going to be perceived. So people just, they keep their mouth shut and then people get other people who could benefit from that, get caught in what I call the vortex of mediocrity. So are you suggesting that it's on us to, to actually give people permission? I mean, a lot of times you say, yeah, give me feedback on this. But then when they say, oh, it's all great. You say, no, no. You know, I, I, I want to know what you really think. I mean, is that is it that invitation that's missing? Yes, it is. It is exactly what's missing. And I think that, look, we, we, we're not necessarily looking to put ourselves up for public consumption in every area of our life. But if there's something we're doing and we can hone in on a certain aspect of it that would make us better, that's the kind of feedback you want. I mean, again, going back to sports, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. If you're a quarterback and you have to get the ball out of your hands really quickly, you can analyze the rapidity of how you get rid of the ball. 
if in music you're playing the violin and you don't hit the C note properly, then there's some really specific feedback you can get. And I think if we hone in on ourselves and we have a pretty good sense of self-awareness or we develop it, we could hone in on something very specific that we could be improving upon. And that's the kind of thing I think you should be asking for. So, so how do you, uh, how do you filter out the fact that there, there are a lot of people that want to give you their opinion that just flat aren't qualified. <laughs> their feedback is actually not useful at all. Uh, for example, and, and, you know, I'm a public speaker. I know you do some of that as well. Um, and there are plenty of people that want to come up afterwards. I mean, fortunately, occasionally people say I was great, but occasionally people want to give me feedback and they have, they really don't have the, they don't have the experience, the background, the knowledge. And, and to some extent, if I'm going to take their feedback, you know, it actually may be steering me in the wrong direction. Right. Well, you make a great point. I, I think you have to limit your feedback to people that are, have two qualifications, one, they're qualified to give the feedback in the first place. Again, right. you know, just to use these examples because we're using them now, you wouldn't take violin uh, feedback from someone who doesn't play or teach the violin. You wouldn't sure. take sports feedback about how to throw the ball better as a quarterback unless the person was qualified. So I don't think right. you should listen to everybody telling you how to become a better speaker. What you should be listening to is someone who's qualified to do it. And then very importantly, the second criteria is someone who's invested in really wanting to see you get better, not someone who's just interested in going, oh, that, that guy, John Jansch, he was up on stage and you know, I, I, don't, I don't like that guy because he's more famous than me or he, why is he on stage? So I'm going to go knock him down a peg and go up to him and say, hey, John, you know what? You suck or you're not that great or whatever it might be. <laughs> and that's like you said, that's not valuable at all because that person's not vested in your growth. And so yeah. I talk about tough love. You got to find those people. Maybe they'll be tough on you, but they have to really love you too. Yeah. Well, I'm a Midwesterner, so, you know, we don't say you suck, but you know, I, I, I know that that's, that's a little more of your East coast coming out there, isn't it? Right. I was imitating a crude. East coast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, <clears throat> the, the subtitle using authority, warmth, <clears throat> excuse me, and energy, um, I mean, we could spend the rest of our time just defining those three words because I think that they mean a lot of different things for a lot of people. So I'd love to hear in in the context of how you mean them. Let's start with authority. Um, you know how um, you know how does that play a role in you know again not taking yes for an answer? Well, I think it, it, it comes down to the book is about two things. One is this mindset shift that I think you have to have in your life in order to improve. You know, there's the old saying, unless you admit you have a problem, you can't fix it. Right. And right. so you have to have that humility to know, Hey, wait a minute, maybe I'm not perfect. Or maybe my life isn't exactly where I want it to be because I, I haven't had the right mindset of thinking about things I could be improving upon. So once you have that mindset shift of not taking yes for an answer, then it begs the question, well, what is it that you should be working on? And I'm not suggesting that I am the expert at everything because I'm really not. And I think there are a lot of reasons why one person may not be achieving his or her potential. But assuming somebody is showing up on time, they're a decent enough person, they're working hard, and they have all those qualifications down, and they're still not doing what they want to be doing, I think it comes down to these personal interactions you have with people. And what I call in the book, private speaking, this idea of, Listen, most of your interactions have nothing to do with public speaking, what I call monologue. It's all about the dialogue you have mm -hmm. with others. And that's where the authority, warmth, and energy piece comes in. And so authority, it's a question of you may know everything about your subject, right? You might be a physicist who knows more about physics than anybody since Albert Einstein. 
But if you can't communicate that level of substantive quality that you have in a stylistically convincing way with your authority, meaning your voice, your posture, your body language, your the rate of speech in which you had, the way you're finishing your sentences, the emotional connection you have to your own message, a lack of filler words, or if you do the opposite of all that, nobody's going to want to listen to you, even if you are a great physicist. And that's what authority is in a nutshell. So in your work, then, um, I'm guessing that you work with some um, expert, uh, subject matter experts and try to help them with their, uh, their communication. Again, I think part of the challenge sometimes people have with that word authority is, you know, we think of that as like commanding, like I know everything, you know, <laughs> but I think some of the best communicators that I've run across also have an air of vulnerability. Um, in the way in which they present themselves. How do you balance those two? Well, it's I love that you mentioned that because I, I do talk about this quite a bit and I'm a huge believer in vulner, vulnerability. And I think that vulnerability creates warmth, it creates trust, it creates connection. And there's a very big difference between the way I define authority, which is not authoritarian, which you're right. talking about is like, I know everything. No, I don't know everything. I just want to come across with a level of competency so that you might believe because ultimately there are a lot of people out there that are subject matter experts. And the difference between success, real success and mediocre success isn't very often the subject matter itself. It's the communication of it. And so I think that if you can connect with someone and be vulnerable and show that level of warmth and connection, you'll actually have more authority about yourself because when someone trusts you, they'll be more likely to listen to what you have to say and think that you're believable and competent. And the opposite holds true if you come across like a robotic jerk. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I find that some of the people that um, that really excel, that are authorities that really excel, are actually really um, are, are able to simplify their subject matter um, and make it, you know, I don't know if, you know, sometimes people use the word dumbed down. That's not what I'm using or meaning at all. But but they're actually so clear in how they're able to communicate something. It actually makes takes takes even complex subjects and makes them simple. Right. Well, th th those are the great communicators. Now, I'm not sure if I've actually uh, achieved this, but I, that's really what I was going for with the idea of awe is, look, yeah. we all know that we have to make a good impression on other people. The question is, how do we bring that to our it, you know, our sense of delivery in the right time, in the moment and correct flaws yeah. that we might have that might be, like you say, turning someone off because you're coming across as a know-it-all. And how do you make that adjustment in the moment? And that's why I, I hope that awe comes in for people as a very simple, easy acronym to remind yourself of those things. Yeah, for authority, warmth, uh, energy. Have you ever tried looking for a domain name? Chances are that the first few options you tried were not available. And you're not alone. I mean, over 65% of domain name searches actually fail because, you know, all good domain names are already taken. But that's not necessarily true. In fact, I got myself selfreliance.site, where I talk about my book, The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, and share content to help people become self-reliant in their entrepreneurial journey. You too can get your very own .site domain for as low as $1.99. Visit www.get.site or click the link in the description on the show notes page. Search for your unique .site domain and use the code SELFRELIANCE 
to get 50% off your domain purchase. Do you, when you work with folks uh, that, that clearly need to develop their authority, are there, you know, are there, are there things that they can do, habits that they can form that, that, that you believe will actually uh, can help somebody improve their authority? I do. I do. I think there's a lot that you can do. So it's, it's interesting that you talk about habits you can form. Yes, I do believe you can form habits. I also think sometimes even more importantly, you can break habits. And sometimes yeah. in communication, it's the bad habits that we have that if we could just get rid of those, then the good habits will emerge. And so you don't even have to do anything other than get rid of the bad. It's kind of like, um, let's say you're on a diet and you eat really good. You eat a lot of vegetables. You eat a lot of lean meats and proteins. You're doing everything right, except that you have this one bad habit of eating a pint of ice cream every night and everything <laughs> else in your diet is great. And so that's kind of the way it is, I think, for a lot of people with the way they communicate, especially in their authority. And that's what I try to help them with. So what role does listening play in all of this? It plays a huge role in all of it because the, the, all, the only thing that matters, and you sort of touched on this earlier when you talk about the simplicity of great communicators, yeah. is that the only thing that matters in the way we communicate is how the other person hears it, perceives it, takes it in, and, and how they feel about it, and what action they'll take in response to that. And so your listening is your whole communication comes down to two things. It's input and output. And obviously output is what you're saying and your body language, et cetera. And input is also your body language and your listening skills. And it's 50, 50. And you know, you, if you're all output and no input, even if you're a great communicator, right. but people don't think you're listening to them when they're talking, you're, you're finished. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit more about warmth. Um, I think for a lot of leaders, that's probably that's probably harder than authority. <laughs> um, I think that in some cases, when when somebody is the boss or they're your manager, you know, there's sort of an authority given to them. Um, but but warmth is one that I think the best leaders have, but it's also one that I think a lot of people feel is it's almost too soft um, to to be a leader. So talk about how um, how you've seen warmth play a role. Well. One of the more fascinating things that I learned in writing and researching this is I met, I had a chance to talk to former Joint Chiefs of Staff Head Admiral Mike Mullen. And he tells a story about how yeah. things aren't going well during the war and he flies over to Afghanistan and he meets with the troops and he just says, guys, come on. He takes all the generals, kicks them out of the room and just says, look, I'm a, I'm a Redskins fan. You're a Cowboys fan, whatever. He, he comes to common ground with them, takes off his quote unquote, you know, military mask uniform, so to speak. He just talks to them as people and he gets a lot of great information out of them and they connect with him and they devise some strategies that end up really working great vis-a-vis -vis what was happening. And so I personally think we're all in a way full of it. You know, we're all we all have the same fears, the same anxieties. Maybe some people are here, some people are here, but we all have got the same, you know, marital issues or things with our children. Nobody's perfect and nobody's anyone who's pretending otherwise is kidding themselves. And I think that when you show yourself to be a real person and I'm not saying go and reveal your deepest, darkest problems to your next you know, people that are next in line to you, but just be in concert with them about some level 
of stress that you have and some realness to your life and just talk. I mean, life is not that complicated if we're willing to be real a little bit. And so I, again, I personally feel that I, I, I seem to think that you agree that hiding behind this false bravado personality is not the best way to connect with people. And you can have authority if you do a good job, if you enable others that are working with you, if you encourage them, if you do all those right things, then just this communication of warmth, it's just an additive and it's a huge additive. At least that's how I see it. So let's circle back to that leader then who, who should be getting feedback. Um, what's the best way? I, again, I think there are a lot of people that are just, I think you even alluded to this. They're like, uh, you know, what's in it for me to do that? You know, that's the boss. I'm not going to tell them what I really think. I mean, how, how do you break that down? Uh, so that, um, so that honest kind of back and forth feedback is going on. Well, I can only tell you what I've tried to do in our business, which has been frankly, very successful. I lead by example. I yeah. lead by example. I tell them, look, what, what do you think I could do better? How, how, how did you like the way I presented myself in that meeting? What did you think about the way I negotiated that deal? What have you? And I guess I'm lucky in a way because I've had a very, very stable, consistent group of people I've worked with for the past 20 years. And it's more like a family than anything else. But within that family, in some ways, I, I think it's we have more freedom of expression and more openness than I do in my own family because there's so much trust there. And because I am able to lead by example, it's taken on a life of its own where I will tell you this. There's not one person that works for me that would be afraid of telling me anything about anything I've done in any situation. And they do that regularly. And there's a lot of criticism that comes my way because sometimes I can be a bit, you know, of a loose cannon with certain things and get emotional. And that's a flaw that I need to work on. And they're quick to point it out to me. And I'm really thankful that they do because sometimes I'll be in a meeting and I'll get a buzz under my, uh, under my leg, you know, from my phone and someone will text me, knock it off. You know, you're going too far here. And how great is that for me, for the company, for everybody in the situation, that there's someone in the room who might be 28, 29 years old, who's working for me, who has the, real competence to say to me, knock it off. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, he or she is right. I should be knocking it off. So I think you hit on a word we haven't really mentioned, but I think it probably is the key to all of this. And that that is trust. I mean, somebody's not going to receive your feedback or give feedback unless there's sort of mutual trust there, uh, will they? No, they won't. And look, it's funny that this word comes up a lot, trust. And in a weird way, I feel like it's the easiest thing to achieve in your business. And all it requires is just, you know, a realization that your employees are not necessarily interested in the same thing that you're interested in. They, and I, say, I tell this to people all the time. Your number one interest in your life should be yourself, you, your career, and your family. And hopefully we can get our needs and our company's needs aligned with your needs. But I would never expect you to put anything except for your own career and your own family in front of us. And I hope that alignment stays the same for the next 20 or 30, 40 years. And I have to do things um, on my end to try to keep that alignment going. But if that alignment doesn't remain, 
I want to be honest enough with them. And a lot of people have left our company over the years. And I'm proud of the fact that so many of them are so successful in our industry, outside of our industry, and I maintain relationships with all of them because that's what was in their best interest for whatever reason. And that's why I think there's a lot of trust. And ultimately, that has paid off for itself for me and our business tenfold because of yeah. that level of trust because they know I care about them. Steve, why don't you tell people where they can find out more about your work and certainly how they can uh, check out Don't Take Yes for an Answer. So I have a website. It's www.stevenherz.com. And on that website, you can find all the social media you know, handles if you want to follow me on Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. And all the writing I've done for places like Business Insider and Forbes, et cetera, and anything else. And you can you can actually buy the book right off of that website with one click or go to Amazon or any of the major bookstores. And then finally, you can um, if, if you want to just find out more about this and you're kind of on the fence about whether or not you should buy this book. There's an eight page guide about these principles in greater detail that you can download for free off the website. Awesome. Steve, thanks for dropping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll see you someday out there on the road. Thank you so much. Likewise, appreciate it.